Welcome to Cobra Kai Never Dies. I'm your host, Nina. I'm your other host, Letha. And we are looking at the second episode of season two, Back in Black. What do you think Back in Black refers to? I have no idea, honestly. I have an idea. What? So, is it like Back in Black, like, we're in the red, we're hemorrhaging money, like the dojo is making money now. So now we're in black? Yes. Maybe, because I was honestly like, nobody's wearing a black gi in this episode. No! Cobra Kai, the dojo, is finally actually turning a profit, I think. Okay, alright. Do you think this applies to Miyagi-Do? I mean, it's not making a profit because Daniel's in charge. Oh, no. Miyagi-Do is hemorrhaging money. (laughs) (laughs) Miyagi-Do is the ultimate pet project. Really, what I really want to talk about beyond Crease for season two is just the kind of like... Supply and demand of the auto business and what it takes to run LaRusso Auto. There was a moment, and we're skipping around a little bit in this episode. We're playing a little fast and loose, but there is a moment when Daniel, in his newly opened Miyagi-Do karate studio, has uh, Robbie and and Sam, his daughter, as as his sole pupils, and he's teaching them karate. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what time is it? Shouldn't he be at work right now? And he does get a call from his wife saying, it's an emergency, like, you have to come in. And it's 11.30 a.m. And it's like, wait, what? It's 11.30 a.m. and you're, like, giving karate lessons on what I assume is a Monday? What is wrong with you? But I also wonder, it's a car emergency. Like, like what is a, what kind of emergency would happen on a used car lot? I mean, I think the emergency was like one of their salespeople quit or something. But okay, okay. Yeah. So, so the the ins and outs of running your own business, which is that you're always kind of it's always need an emergency. to keep an eye on things. Just, yeah, you know, Johnny knows that at Cobra Kai, which is his business. Daniel should know that about his own business, which is not Miyagi Do. It is Larusso Auto Lot. Yes. Okay. So talking about and the season, or sorry, this episode actually opens with a very kind of like slow montage of like. I love this montage. It's so confusing. It's it's like almost pornographic. What? It's a montage with ladies' music gets made. It's a montage of Johnny's car, which you viewers may remember he got last season from the Lurosa Autolot to replace the car that uh, Sam ended up wrecking. He got this car, and this montage is him souping up the car, or him, like, taking the car to, like, a body shop to soup it up, like, put Cobra Kai racing stripes on it, and a personalized license plate, and all this douchey, spectacular stuff. And also, it's a montage of him and Ro- and I was about to say Robbie, oh my god, Ugh. him and Miguel doing their morning routines, you know, doing their sit-ups, eating breakfast, and then them getting into his car together. I presume that Johnny now drives him to school or something. And yeah, he is fairly, like, they are in sync. They are in sync. They are fist-bumping. They are head-bobbing to the same music. A MILF and her daughter in a neighboring car check them out. You know, it's... A- Does this actually ever happen? I mean, I know it's spoofed. Uh, like, I think it's in the Vacation series with Chevy Chase. Like... He's flirting with somebody in the car next to him. But I'm just like, I feel like this is one of those quintessential California things from the movies. And I just want to know. I know we're from California. I've never car this? flirted. I mean, the- no, I was I was always terrified of crashing. And so my eyes were always peeled. Also, what ahead. happens after you car flirt? Like, are you going to get into a car? Do you get out of the car? Out? Yeah. Do you, like- do you like signal to them like, hey, over by the Reseda mini mall. Let's, let's both pull in here. <laughs> Go to Vape City. 
Speaking of which, we realized in this episode... <laughs> that mini-mall is the best. That the mini-mall where Cobra Kai is located is, um, has many different uh, different businesses, including that mini-mart they're familiar with, but also a business called Vape City. So now you know, guys. Where did that homeless woman go? The one that was, she like, just spinning... not make many appearances in this season. That's true. Sad, right? I mean... But it's nice to know that Cobra Kai is still in a... a it's still a shitty... Oh, yeah. Strip Mall Plaza. That makes me happy every time I see it. Um, all right, before we get to the, the meat of this episode, which is the various training methods of Miyagi-Do versus Cobra Kai, um, we got to talk about Robbie. <sighs> I know. Sorry, I didn't know. It is a completely involuntary sigh that comes up from deep within my soul. It's... I, I remember this because so it finishes up with the Johnny and Miguel montage that they're both doing sit-ups, and then it pans over to like Robbie on the couch, and it's this very dark look at his home life. As someone who recently rewatched this episode with Nina, like I I, I heard your like weary sigh as soon as we <laughs> panned over to Robbie. I know, I know, but you do gotta feel bad for the guy because um, he he's sleeping on the couch. And suddenly he hears somebody rustling around his apartment and he tackles him. And it turns out that um, it's Robbie's mom's boyfriend of the week. Rick. Which Rick. is the most... I feel like every shitty stepfather and boyfriend... Is a Rick. Is a Rick, He's yeah. definitely a Rick. And, like, uh, Robbie's mom... What I like about this is that she is realistically shitty. Like, you Really? Don't... I thought she was over-the-top shitty. Really? Because I was like, you don't see her, like, over-the-top, like, you know, being abusive... She's just negligent in that she's like, you know, she's dating this guy, he wants to take her to Cabo, and he's promised to pay the rent on the apartment, so she's like, it's cool. Like, and honestly, you're right. I mean, she is, like, the kind of person you would call CPS on because Child Protective Services. Yeah, like, I think, like, pills rolled out of her purse, she did seem a little bit drunk. Yeah. She... But she loves... You can tell that she loves Robbie. Not, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like... Not enough to worry about whether he might, like, be... Whether the lights are going to be... Uh, w- w- did the power go out at Yeah, like, la- the later it turns it was... out that her boyfriend, Rick, may have paid the rent, but he didn't pay for power, yeah, so... Yeah, Rick's not a guy that's going to call PG&E for you. Yeah. So, yeah, so Robbie ends up, like, without power and, like, without very much food in the home and all of this stuff. So he's in a, in a bad place. Again... I see your point that, like, maybe his mom seems, like, a little over the top, but I thought it was just, like, they never have her seem, like, I mean, whenever you, like, see abusive parents on TV, they're always, like, beating you or, like, saying, like, horrible things. She's just more, like... She's low-key abusive. She Yeah, she's, like, kind of in her own world. Um, and that world is now Cabo, which is where she's going. Oh, sorry, Cabo adjacent with her boyfriend, right? Right, and, yeah, but it's... I guess they're really hitting it home that Robbie, like, they're like, okay, we haven't talked enough about Robbie's backstory, so they're putting it all in there, and I just, like, scene after scene, it's him eating cereal for breakfast, then the lights go out. I half expected, like, the the water to be shut off midway. (laughs) So Nina hates Robbie, I think is the point. I know, I'm just saying, okay, I felt bad for him, and it totally makes sense that he would be pissy, and it, it also, like, I wish they had done this a little sooner because then we would have been perhaps more sympathetic to More sympathetic him. about him lurking at Casa La Russa right. all the I time. Mean, now it makes sense. Because man just wants, uh, like, a, a home and which is actually stable parent. Very understandable. Maybe in the first season, if it wasn't mostly focused on him, like, stealing shit and then suddenly having a change of heart for no reason, maybe I would have felt more for him. But that's, that's okay. Well, moving on. Um, 
So we do have like a Robbie and Samantha are, as I mentioned, are training with Daniel. They are like they are committed to Miyagi Do this season. And meanwhile, um, we have Cobra Kai. Uh, like we have new students who've joined. Um, I want to mention this. There's two new students that we tend to focus on a lot. Um, I cannot remember their names. They are a white dude and a black dude. And Aswad and, and, and Doucheface douche or something like that is what sure. they are called by, by the pre-existing students. Um, they will, I, I should learn their names because they will become important later. But for now, we just see them a lot. And I want to say this. The uh, white guy is wearing a, picture, a t-shirt with a picture of pickle on it that says, deal with it. Lotha's obsessed with puns, and so this is personally significant for this her. This is amazing. The rest of us have forgotten the shirt. This is the best thing ever. Um, we will not be talking about the shirt anymore. So anyways, the point is, the shirt is amazing. Um, and then, uh, so we are looking at Cobra Kai in class. They're kind of like goofing off a bit, but you know who else is in class oh, on this God. particular day? It is Crease. And Crease is Karate Pout. That's right. Everyone focus. So Crease's face is so interesting to me. Yes, it is because bizarre it's, looking. I don't even know if it's just normal aging, or if it's always been that way. It's it's like such an interesting face. But he holds his mouth in a a pout. Permanent pucker. Like I cannot describe it any other way. It is a pout. It is the kind of thing yeah. like a teenage model effects on yeah. camera. Yeah, and I don't know why it makes him look. I, I don't know what I it makes it look like. It's, 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 so it's just confusing. a strange expression to see on a grown man. It makes so many things. And, um... But he's he's there, and like you can tell that, despite his ridiculous pouting face, Johnny's a little bit like self-conscious with him there. Yeah, he's trying to make a good impression on Kreese. Like, they automatically fall back into their old roles, where Kreese is like, hey, I'm just an observer, I'm just here to watch. But then he's pouting in the corner. Right, and, and, and I feel like just his presence is like, you know, without him there, you know, all the the teens are kind of goofing off, but like Crease being there is like, hey, this isn't a game. This is Desert Storm, God right. damn it. You can't be goofing off in here. And so he invites them to a special exercise um, that we'll talk about in a second. Um, the only thing I want to mention before we get to these two separate exercises that Miyagi Do and Cobra Kai are running this week is uh, we do have like, when Daniel finally goes back to work, Oh, because God, his wife texts him. Just... We do have a car selling montage, the second montage of this episode, um, where he and his wife have to team up to like sell 10 cars in a day. What'd you think? What'd you think of this? So I just, I can imagine the writer's room where like people are like, okay, I wonder what would be a fun kind of Cobra Kai karate lesson. Like, and they're thinking of the cement mixer. And then in a separate writer's room that is entirely dedicated to like Daniel's story, it's anything good. Um, it's just them being like, okay, well maybe we could do like a montage where they're like buffing a car and like <laughs> fist bumping over selling used cars to like a bunch of marks. And it's, it's as good as it could be. It's more that I just don't, <laughs> it's the worst. I don't know what I'm saying. I, I don't know. I, I have told you this. I've always liked Daniel's wife. I mean... I like that she just seems to have a good sense of humor, so it's nice to see her. Um, them selling cars as a montage is like, okay. Um, it's yeah, nice she to uses see. her sex appeal and, and arts also and like Daniel her uses... willingness to whore Daniel out. 
I yeah. like that where she's like, hey, do you want to take a picture with Daniel doing the crane kick? Yeah, you do. And, you know, I, I like that. The... How do you feel like, what do you think she feels about his, like, karate? Do you think she respects the role it plays in his life? Do you think she kind of underestimates it? I think that her reaction to his karate life is just a really subtle eye roll that she tries to hide from him. And I like she's that. She's been hiding it for That's like, just what, right. 20 years? And she's like, okay, all right, well, you do your thing. And I like that she uses it to sell cars, you know. she's She takes it as seriously as it probably should be taken. Okay, then I think I've asked this before of you, but do you feel like karate could become a rift between Amanda and Daniel? I mean, absolutely, because, I mean, look at him now. He's, like, fucking blowing off work to teach his two-student dojo. One of whom is his daughter. I think they'd understand if he was like, sorry, kids, I have to actually go do a job Isn't now. it insane that selling cars is, like, a, a form of foreplay to them? Because it was so skin-crawling. They were selling all these cars, and they were toasting the champagne, and I was like, look, whatever look you got in your eye, Daniel, forget about it. <laughs> like... No, no. It is, it is floor play to them. I mean, I feel like that's how they got together. Selling um, cars? Probably. I mean, that's probably how they met, because they're both car salesmen. I don't know if we I don't know if we find out how they actually met in this. I would season. bet money that they met in some kind of car selling capacity. God. I feel it. That's their relationship. That's her true love, if karate is his. So, okay. So there's some like moments there, but then we get to the meat of this episode, which is, as we've alluded to, two training exercises. One done by Cobra Kai and the other done by Miyagi-Do. And the Cobra Kai exercise is, Nina, do you want to describe it? Oh my god. So it starts with learning the wheel technique. So Daniel... No, that's the Miyagi-Do exercise. Oh wait, go ahead. Wait, which one are we starting with? Uh, let's start with Miyagi-Do since you're okay, talking okay. about it. So he draws a circle using some sand and... He his only two students, his one of whom he's related to, and his surrogate son face off, and they're supposed to. I, I'm telling you, he uses unintentionally like hilarious. You're supposed to sense the other person's moves. So their backs are to each other in the circle, and they're supposed to basically do the same moves in a wheel in a circle, perfectly in sync. Perfectly in sync. So they're doing the same thing while kind of like circling around each other, but they're not looking at each other, and they quite sensibly are like, "How are we supposed to know what each other is doing?" Yeah, and they also allude to that Robbie is perhaps not in the right frame of mind because his his home life is all messed up, so he's not feeling the kind of balance he should be. Mm-hmm. But like when. Uh, Daniel's at that used car lot selling cars. He sees a tire spinning. Yeah. And that gives him the inspiration to revise the exercise so that um, in his Miyagi-Do garden, there is like a koi pond with a wooden platform. And right now the wooden platform has two bonsais balanced on it. Well, he takes those bonsais off and he puts Sam and Robbie on that platform. He's like, do the wheel on that. And, you know, obviously, I think the point is to introduce, like, first of all, you can sort of feel it when your partner isn't in sync with you if you're both on the same wooden platform. And second of all, perhaps to introduce some stakes so that it's like if you don't get in sync, you'll fall off, right? Maybe? That's yeah, the point. yeah. Um, they also... I feel like you could still uh, suffer some serious injuries from that. Like, it's a it's a deck that's, like, covered in water. The and... koi pond does not seem that deep. It seems like it would pretty easy, be easy to hit your head on something. Yeah, you could definitely um, hit your head on that. Um, not saying that I would prefer the cement mixer exercise. Speaking of the cement mixer, so Johnny, to, like, kind of 
again, to make his students feel like there are stakes to what they do and to keep them from goofing off. And also, let's face it, to impress Crease a little bit. He takes them to this construction lot. He has them mix up a bunch of cement. He gets, like, some friend of his to bring a cement mixer around. And basically, he wants his students to get in the cement mixer. And they've got to keep running and keep moving and keep that thing turning. Otherwise, I suppose they'll be, like, cemented to death. Okay, um, I wrote this down because I felt like, you know what, for someone who is ostensibly, I don't know, do you think that Johnny actually thought this through, uh, like he told Crease, or did he just think of this on the spot? I think he just thought of it on the spot. Yeah, because he says, a true champion never stops training or else you get stuck like the cement. I was impressed by the metaphor. I was like, well done. Yeah. Sir. I mean, you pulled that right out of you your You got ass. the metaphor and then you're like, well, now we're going to need the cement Yeah, exactly. He's like, I already got the cement mixer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's as an exercise, and now we have to talk about this, which would you rather do? The cement mixer or the wheel? I will say, um, weirdly, I mean, it's a very beautiful, like Miyagi-Do is like, a prettier dojo <laughs> but um i would feel a little terrified honestly of the balancing exercise really the- yeah you'd rather be in a cement mixer i don't want to do either one let's be very <laughs> clear about that there's a reason why i'm not a karate master um but i like that like you know you're firmly grounded in place like uh, not reg- waiting in cement well, assuming there aren't any toxic fumes. There are many out. toxic oh, fumes. Oh, God. Okay, so I'll either end up with brain damage stuck in place, or I'll have a concussion and, like, have amnesia, and I'll forget all about this podcast and our friendship. You could never. Are you sure? <laughs> would that be terrible to explain? You would be talking to my parents in the hospital, and you would be like, Look, we were doing this karate podcast. It made and sense we were, for Nina to go we in the cement mixer. To, I can't explain no, it. No, no, no. We were trying to do wheel technique. Okay, right. We're, we're doing wheel technique. And in this random guy's dojo. It made sense. In a filthy okay. koi pond. Well, better that than the cement mixer. And my favorite line in this episode is probably uh, when the students, led by Miguel, of course, they, they do it. They get in the cement mixer and they like actually make it turn. Um, and afterwards, you see Johnny washing them all off. And... I really like that he says, I'm proud of you. Your parents would be proud of you, too, if you told them what you did today, which we won't. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, Johnny's got enough sense to know that, like, you keep everybody quiet about that part. But it's, as it goes, you know what? I think I would rather do the the wheel thing because cement gross. But if you ask me which one I think is harder, I think the wheel is actually harder than the cement thing. Yeah, yeah. One, you're just, like, kind of, like, you just have to, like, put all your force into, like, moving the cement mixer, I think. We're not trying this at home. Right, I'm not really sure if I could do it, but it seems like that would be easy. Sadly, we don't have any friends with cement mixers. Yeah. Or else we would Otherwise, totally we'd be all it. over yeah. that shit, okay? Yeah. We would be there. Um, also, I have to ask, uh, in the last episode is where we initially saw Miyagi-Do fix-up, where they're building this dojo single-handedly. And then now it's up and running, so I'm just like... You built this dojo in the span of, like, three days? Daniel's rich. I bet he had contractors. Just saying. No, why did he... <laughs> no. No. He wants all that quality time with Robbie. He made Robbie do it alone. <laughs> to learn many karate to learn lessons. lessons. This is how you put leg route, Robbie. It's really important to your balance. I'm, I'm sure, yeah. There's always chores to be done. It's, a. Uh... 
Yeah, uh, you're right. It, right Miyagi-Do, the, it's a very beautiful-looking studio, which, of course, because I'm, like, a troll, makes me hate it more, because Cobra Kai's got that scrappiness of always being next to Bape City, being yeah. in a strip mall, but Miyagi-Do is, like... It's got little bonsais everywhere and running water and such. I mean, maybe this is not a, a good question to ask, given that the show is called Cobra Kai, but do you feel like the creators uh, want there to be some Miyagi-Do fans? Are there any Miyagi-Do fans? Like, at this point, the narrative is, like, fairly... I mean, like, we have... They've made Johnny into the protagonist, and Daniel up till now has been kind of like he's an antagonist he was in i think that that was actually this might explain why the second season is not as satisfying as the first because you have this unexpected thing that they do in the first season where johnny is the protagonist despite you know kind of being a a shitty person and daniel despite being like by all you know even our like standards even us trolling we have to admit daniel's a good person like he seems like a good guy but he is set up to be the antagonist, which is interesting because it's like, in everything you see, it's like he's like, you know, despite being a nice guy, like he's rich and well off and doesn't really have any problems. And it's sort of like the only his only problem is that he's obsessing over something that happened like 20 years ago. Which so, is a serious problem. Which is a serious problem. You see him do weird machinations to shut down like the businesses in a strip mall, you know, so he's definitely set up to be the antagonist. And it's just, I think one of the joys of the first season is that strange dissonance you feel, like seeing Daniel LaRusso as an antagonist, but not a bad person. The second season doesn't seem to know who you should root for, and so yeah, maybe maybe that's introducing some complexity into the world, but I think it does make you think, like, where do, where do the writer's sympathies lie exactly? It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, I mean... Normally, I would say, of course, we're supposed to be only rooting for Johnny. But after seeing the first Karate Kid movie, and you kind of see Daniel's character and and how good he could be as a person, you want him to get back to that place, I think. But that place almost comes from... I mean, Daniel in The Karate Kid... Yeah, he's such an endearing character in A Karate Kid. And maybe it does come from his scrappy underdogness. Like, maybe he can't get that back because he's no longer a scrappy underdog. Yeah, like, he's it's a like guy watching. Everything. Yeah. And I, I do feel like the first season, again, without making him seem like a bad person, realized that. Like, the first time Daniel's introduced in the show, they have, like, the song How Lucky Can One Guy Be Playing, and he's, like, making Keurig coffee and kissing his beautiful wife. You know, like, they understand that, like, yeah, you might like Daniel, and you sh- it's not that you're supposed to dislike Daniel, but he is not the protagonist, you know? Yeah. He's the foil. He's he's the guy who has everything. And oh, my God. You know what I was thinking? I don't think this will happen in season three, but what if, what if Daniel, because he's frittering away his time at, <laughs> at his two-person dojo... Um, loses his car business, loses everything, and is has to start from scratch. That's a whole new Daniel who I might That's be able to get new behind. Daniel, right? Yeah. And to and, be honest, it seems like his passion is teaching karate. It's not selling cars, at least not anymore. So maybe they, maybe he should have a midlife crisis where he's like, I don't want to sell cars anymore. I want to open. I want to devote all my time to the dojo. And then you see his wife dealing with that. I mean, that would be interesting because right now he's just like. I guess it's like in the first season, again, he wasn't portrayed to be as a bad person, but he was portrayed to have flaws. He was portrayed to be also like kind of like have an embarrassment of riches. And in the second season, 
less so. You're supposed to kind of take him at face value, like, you're supposed to feel about him like you feel about Mr. Miyagi. And I'm sorry, Mr. Miyagi is, like, a much more compelling character who had a lot, like, not going for him in yeah. his life. Like, he didn't really have any connections with people except for Daniel, you know? Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the last scene? Do we miss? Do we, did. we miss anything? I think we. I think we got it. Oh, okay. um, one stray observation about the wheel. It kind of seems like Daniel designed it so that, like, how can I get my daughter and my student to fall in love with each other? It really is, and because <laughs> if you want to get two people to fall in love with each other, you put them through that, right? Like, right? They're both on a wheel together. They have to be perfectly in sync you together. have to feel each other your bodies need to be moving in tandem and then if you fall He's off like, you, you both have get to wet <laughs> it's just oh that's right that's right they both fall in and like their hair is slicked back and it's, it's all just... ridiculous and then afterwards like it's clear that they're having a moment um that is when robbie tells sam about his home situation which is what leads like daniel actually to go visit him and which like is a very decent thing to do yeah absolutely daniel's like well shit like if you're living like with no parental supervision, with no electricity, move in with me, we've got space. But his wife is like, well, I mean, if you're going to do that, you've got to talk to his parents first. I know you can't reach his mom, who's in not Cabo, but you know where his dad is. Do you think that uh, Daniel would have jumped at the chance to take Robbie in if he hadn't, if Robbie wasn't Johnny's son? Oh. Do you think there's an element of, like, sticking it to his rival? I think there's an element of that, but despite all the Daniel hatred that you see on this show, I think that Daniel, like, if Robbie, I think Daniel has always wanted to live up to Mr. Miyagi. And taking in, like, this this kid who has no home, that's something that Mr. Miyagi would have done whether or not the kid was related to his greatest rival. So that's my answer there. I'm giving Daniel the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, same. Oh, whatever. You were doubting Daniel all over the place. <laughs> you were like, no, nah, this is just another I am playing, for Daniel. I'm playing devil's advocate uh-huh, here. Uh-huh. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just opening the floor for questions. I can't believe you were Daniel for Halloween. You are the lawyer here. Shouldn't you be asking about the other side? Are we only supposed to accept one narrative here? Is there only room for one voice? All right. All right. That's fair. Okay. Wow. That was some pretty good lawyering yourself. Thank you. Um, I'm a street lawyer. I didn't have to learn these tricks in law school. (laughs) So now we get, at long last, to the last scene of the episode where Daniel realizes he's got to go talk to Johnny if he's going to pseudo-adopt his son. And so he shows up at the strip mall where Kreese and Johnny are just exiting the mini-mart with a couple of tall boys. Yes, because Kreese, in case you didn't know, has now ingratiated himself Firmly into the Cobra Kai dojo, uh, as if there was any any doubt that he would... I mean, would he just, doesn't have any place to go. He doesn't so. have any place to go, as we'll soon find. And also, like, all he seemed to do was kind of, like, basically back up Johnny. But, like, when Johnny wants his students to do, like, uh, the cement mixer thing, he's like, you should listen to this man. He got you to the championship. And Johnny seems actually grateful for that and is willing to accept his offer of a beer and... Uh, Kreese's request to just come by again the next day. Well, I mean, it's interesting because uh, at this point, Kreese is the only one who has said positive things about Johnny, right? Johnny's getting no... I mean, apart from him and Miguel, he's not really getting much in the way of, like, um, kudos, I guess, for his 
his ability to turn his life around from mm-hmm. anyone else. So, and he feels I get it because you know just like Miyagi is Daniel's father figure, Kreese is Johnny's father figure, and he's getting the approval of his father figure at long last. I I, I understand. Um, so it's kind of satisfying when, of course, uh, Daniel runs into Kreese and Johnny together, and he's like, "What the fuck? Isn't that guy dead?" Um, yeah, and Kreese, like in the two seconds, he's just like instantly uh brings up Miyagi he's like well the gang's all here well most of the gang or something my condolences yeah it's it's shitty um I feel like he should be twirling his mustache or something like that it's pretty (laughs) Chris is a very over-the-top character it's not always a bad thing though yeah um, and then, uh, Daniel's like, you know, how are your knuckles doing, Crease? And I was honestly like, what? But then we flash back to, I believe, the Karate Kid 2, um, and Crease is, like, punching the window of a car just to get to Miyagi, but Miyagi dodges, and anyways, I, I, I was like, oh, okay, that's a reference that I can't imagine that Crease would remember given all of his time. The first with- time I saw this episode, I was really terrified that Crease would just, like, destroy Daniel. Like, just be like, okay, I'm gonna, like, do my SEAL Team 6 moves and leave Daniel bloodied. For real? Because I was like, I always thought his SEAL Team 6 stuff was bullshit. Just no Really? Way. You don't think he has any moves? I mean, he, like, that first opener in Season 1. I think he's got moves. Two. I think he's able to beat Johnny because he taught Johnny all of his moves. But I think his whole, like, bullshit about, like, being part of, like, lots of mercenary covert ops... I doubt it. I have reasons you to doubt it. You think he's just it. a grifter? I think okay. he's just a grifter, and... <laughs> he he gives strong grifter energy. It's true. He does have grifter energy, <laughs> along with that eternal pout. But, um... So, basically, it just kind of seems like they're all posturing at each other. And, like, you know, Johnny's like, why, why are you at my, my mini-mall? But, uh, you know, Daniel says, like, I was here to ask you a question, but I think I have my answer now. Which is a little bit like, well, how did you feel about that? Well, I, every time, uh, here's the thing that I think is very true to Daniel's character, which you could even see in the first Karate Kid, is he's just shown as this kind of, like, hothead. And he, like, jumps to conclusions. And, like, in some sense, like, Johnny's much more world-weary and a little bit calmer. Um, whereas, like, Daniel, it just doesn't take much to get him riled up. Uh, and so it's like, of course he's jumping to conclusions. Of course he doesn't bother to, like, get the get the real story. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I always feel like this, to me, is, like, a little bit of a... It's what, like, Roger Ebert used to call an idiot plot, where it's, like, if any one party just, like, said what was up, like, yeah. it wouldn't exist. It's, it's like, kind of like a rom-com where you're, like, everything would be solved by a five-minute cell phone conversation. Right, right. So it's kind of like, hey, Johnny, um, the mother of your son, like, left, and now he's alone in an apartment without electricity. I'm thinking of asking him to move in with me. Is that okay with you, or do you want him to move in with you? Can you imagine having that kind of mature conversation in this, like, Reseda mini-mall where Crease is, like... Can you have a serious conversation with Crease around? Crease is, like, pouting in the background and talking about SEAL Team 6. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And and Crease actually, like, throws his arm around Johnny, who's just like, no, 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 I'm not with this guy. Right, who who actually shakes it off. I don't know who this homeless guy is. Right, like, Johnny's, like, accepted Crease back in, in his life in like a limited context but he's not exactly like let's get all chummy yet and it's honestly just like okay uh Daniel I, I guess the assumption that you're leaping to is that Crease is back which he is 
But what is what does that have to do with like Robbie? Like it has nothing to do with Robbie. Really, it doesn't. It's about you're hanging around with the worst kind of people and like any and to be fair, any home which has Crease anywhere near it is not a home. It's a war zone. Uh, but Crease doesn't like live with him. Yeah. He doesn't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I Again, I think it's like... If I saw you hanging out with Crease, I'd have been like, Lutha has fallen in a bad way. I'm not sure... I'm and you sure. wouldn't tell me that my son was living with you because... I'd be like, you know what? This is not a safe place for a kid. Uh, well, once again, as always, on Team Daniel, I see. Right, exactly. Um, That's me. Team Daniel. <laughs> for life. <laughs> um, so, the last, last scene is actually... Miguel dropping by Johnny's place, um, who, well, we should say, did it surprise you that Miguel has a key? No. No. Yeah. He's... He's dropping off food that his mom made because his mom wants Johnny to eat something that isn't a Slim Jim. Uh, we didn't mention this from the first episode, but the scene with Miguel's mom and Johnny communing over some Tres Leches cake, planting the seeds... For romance, perhaps. Yeah, no, I, I see it. I see it. She wants to... She likes him. I get it. Um, but anyways, uh, Miguel, speaking of uh, parents, I guess, Miguel stops by with the food, and he's putting it in the fridge, and he sees a picture on the fridge, and the picture is... Young Robbie. And my first reaction is like, how do you know? Like, how do you look at the guy you, like, fought once, and are like, that's a young Robbie. I mean, the guy has a very sparse apartment, and he has nothing on his fridge except for this, like, old A picture. photo of, so like, an eight-year-old Robbie. Yeah, so you would look a little close. I mean, it probably says the name on the bottom, right? That's how You're right, that's probably how he knows. You're right. Because otherwise yeah. it was just, like, really, like, I don't know if I would recognize, like, my rival's eight-year-old self, but sure. I would. Oh, uh, you would. <laughs> it's probably me, so it's okay. That's true. Um, yeah. So Fallout. What would you, uh, so that, that's set up as a cliffhanger to deal with in the next episode, but what would you rate this episode? Um, I gotta say, to me, this was not a very strong episode. Um, I'm gonna give it a two out of five. Two out of five what? Um, two out of five crease pouts. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I would give it a 2.5 out of five Rotating wheels. Five, 2.5.5? 5. 5? I said 2.5 out of okay, 5. Okay, that's some sketchy math. It's a 2.5 out of 5 rotating wheels in a koi pond where your your daughter and karate son can fall in love. Wow, that is deep. I know. Um. Okay, are you ready? I'm always ready. Strike first. Strike hard. No, no mercy! mercy. 